this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on this week's Relax Back UK show. This week's topic is one that is going to get more and more important. It's long COVID. I think that the effects will become more apparent as time goes on, and more people are shown to have this, uh, this disease. My guest is Dr Judith Grant, who has been suffering the effects of long COVID for over two years now, and has had to deal with many, many different symptoms from it. It hurt to eat because my throat was so swollen, I couldn't swallow. And every time I tried to chew food, I was biting on the blisters in my mouth. She talks about her initial COVID illness, how it led on to long COVID, some of the awful effects of this, and she really was put through the mill. She really has had a very tough time. However, it's not all doom and gloom, and there's light at the end of the tunnel for Judith. I started to feel like myself again. Like I felt like... I'd come out of a dark cloud, like the brain fog for me really started to lift then. Um, and once the brain fog lifted, my mood kind of improved. So please do stay tuned and join me and Judith as she relives her two years of long COVID. The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things. Make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Dr Judith Grant has had long COVID for two years and has a, had a very difficult time of it, but is starting to turn a bit of a corner in her recovery. She went through her experiences with me, but first I just got her to introduce herself. So I'm yeah, Dr Judith Grant. I'm a doctor of occupational health psychology uh, and management, so uh, a PhD rather than an MD doctor. Although having caught COVID in March last year I feel like my medical knowledge has or March 2020 I should say my medical knowledge has increased significantly with that and um, so my background is workplace health and well-being so I've worked for the last uh, 20 years in various uh, health and well-being roles within organizations both with individuals and uh, companies my latest role is director of health and well-being for a large uh, construction consultancy organization which I'll be returning to uh, uh, next week in fact. Okay all right well that's exciting good luck with that I hope that goes well so uh, how long have you actually been sick with long long Covid? Um, 25 months so I fell ill the first week of March 2020 so before um, the lockdowns um, when it was Covid was still being kind of talked about in the media but there was no sort of self-isolation, there were no tests. Um, so it's very early days. Yeah, all right. So over two years, so this just kind of underlines that, you know, long COVID is not a joke. This, this is two years of your life so far, and you're not free of the disease, are you? You are much better. You're able to go back to work, but you wouldn't say you are completely cured, or would you? No, no. I mean, I guess... When I thought about you know being off sick, I've always thought of return to work as the end goal. But in this case, and for a lot of long-term illnesses, 
going back to work is not the end goal. It's part of my recovery. And it may take, you know, who knows how long it will take me to fully recover because long COVID and the mechanisms behind it are so poorly understood. You know, there are no like real treatments for it. You can treat some of the symptoms. So I, yeah, I have no idea when I might fully recover, but I'm so, so much better than I was. But saying that I've had some pretty very, very low points. So sometimes I find it difficult to say how I'm doing because I'm like, well, I'm not kind of at death's door where I feel like I have been. But then I almost forget how I how I was before. It, it's been going on so long. Sure. All right. Let, let's go back to the, the beginning. If, if you can bear taking yourself back a couple of years. <laughs> Apologies if it's kind of too much. But is, is there a link between how bad the initial COVID is and and long COVID? Because were you when you initially got COVID, were you, you know, were you laid out? Were you hospitalised? You know, were you kind of because some people go to hospital, you know, they nearly die. Well, let's yeah. face it. A lot of people have died. Or for yeah. some people, it's just like, you know, a day in bed and off they go again. I mean, I was pretty poorly. So I, um, I had a dry cough, I had fever, I had a hoarse voice, really bad earache um, for a couple of weeks, um, really fatigued. But I was kind of able to, you know, get out of bed and, I mean, I, uh, and just sort of pot around my flat. Um, um, and I had some wheezing, but I wasn't, um, yeah, I wasn't hospitalised. But actually, there is no real link between whether you had a mild or moderate or a, um, you know, hospitalised case of COVID and long COVID. It just it seems to be quite random. And right. what I would say, what really frustrates me in the media is the kind of binary notion of COVID as being mild or a hospitalised case. I was really poorly, but at that time, um, the NHS wasn't scaled up um, to deal with all. I mean, at the time they were starting to scale up um, to deal with the cases, but the NHS was overwhelmed. So they were only taking people in who were really, 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 really sick. So maybe had I caught covid a year later say in march 2021 when the capacity was there in the health system maybe i would have gone to hospital um but at that time we were you know essentially left at home on our own told just you know you didn't know what was going on in yourself but you just told to stay at home and that's yeah. pretty terrifying right goodness all right so you you had this initial two weeks then yep. presumably kind of the worst of that two weeks was over um uh, what no you I can see you're you're disagreeing no, jump in please do jump in um well it, I mean it is a long story so I mean the worst of those two weeks so after two weeks at the end of it I thought oh okay I think I'm feeling a bit better and lockdown I think had just happened then um so me and my friends we got on a call you know a zoom call um to catch up and I thought fantastic um you know that's over, phew. Monday, I went back to work. Half a day, I swept through my clothes and then I fell even more ill. So um, my voice got even more hoarse and um, the fatigue kicked in. Um, it wasn't until f- like five weeks into the illness. So by this point, I'd been off five weeks. Um, when my breathing became a real issue. So um, I I started getting really wheezy again. I was still fatigued. One night, I really, really was struggling to breathe. So I phoned 111, as the NHS advice was. Um, And, you know, I was left there overnight waiting for a call back for a doctor. I left, I live on my own, so I left my door unlocked because I thought I was going to die in my sleep. That was the kind of the reality. But again, was just told, stay at home, um, you'll be okay. Um, It wasn't until week nine of the illness that I actually saw someone. So by that point, um, I was referred to what were called the COVID hot hubs. Can I just interrupt you one second? Because you said this this word fatigued. I think it's important for people to 
this is not being a little bit tired. We all get a little bit tired and yeah. we all know what that is. But I, I've got a suspicion that what you're saying by fatigued is something that most people haven't experienced. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to be honest, my fatigue got worse through the illness. So in those early stages, it was extreme tiredness. But fatigue for me now, my understanding of fatigue is crushing fatigue where, you know, you have to decide, you know, sometimes you might be struggling to lift your toothbrush up um, or to brush your hair, to even get out of bed. Um, you know, I, I, like, I grew my hair, so I've got longer hair than I used to because the energy required to wash it every day, I just didn't, haven't had that. So I've had to make quite big lifestyle changes. I mean, that's kind of a minor one, changing my hair, but it's just an example. Um, yeah. I've had to make quite big changes to be able to accommodate the fatigue, um, which has been, yeah, crushing. You know, you can't, there've been days where I just can't talk to anyone because I find that too tiring. Um, can't read um, because again it's just um, you know you can't focus uh, it is fati proper fatigue is crushing you just can't do anything but then there's the fatigue that's been with me all the time which isn't crushing but it dictates everything I do every day okay all right so I interrupted there we, you I think you got to week nine <laughs> Sorry, I can go for a full monologue about this. I mean, it, it, um, um, I have got a timeline I've written out just um, to help me because um, one of the good things I did and recommend to others with the illness is I kept a diary. So all through the illness, I kept a diary of it because, you know, when you get to, say, 18 months of the illness and you're seeing yet another medical professional, how on earth do you remember what happened to you yeah. in the first few weeks it's important to have that that diary so that's how I'm kind of able to talk about it easily because I've got the kind of chronological time log but so yeah week nine nine was when I first actually saw a medical professional because for those that first period you know you couldn't see anyone face to face I'd spoken to my GP um over the phone a few times who was signing me off work and she suspected I had COVID from the second week of the illness. So she kind of, it, it became suspected COVID infection from then on um, in my medical records. Um, but at week nine, I went to A&E, um, well, I went to the hot hub. They then did a number of tests looking at my, um, my breathing, my heart rate, and they were really concerned. Um, so they sent me straight to A&E um, for a lot of tests. Now, all of those tests pretty much came back as normal. Um, and a lot of long COVID sufferers will relate to this. That I mean, I've been to A&E seven times through the illness with varying, some very awful visits. Um, but generally, each visit, you know, the stats have been normal and they haven't been able to identify what's going on. And that's a big problem with long COVID. No one's really sure of mechanisms. And a lot of these standardised tests in hospitals are coming back, not really showing or identifying what the issues are. Sure. But when I, when I went to A&E in that ninth week, the A&E doctors had said they were seeing people like me who had contracted the illness you know, a couple of months ago, but just weren't recovering. So they were starting to see that. And I'm fortunate in where I lived, I think, that I kind of felt validated that they were seeing others like me. My GP was telling me I'm seeing others like me. Whereas I know through a lot of the long COVID communities on Facebook and you know, other um, media, um, there are many people who simply just weren't believed that this was in their head. Whereas for me, throughout the illness, um, I've been taken seriously and people right. believe that's, that's quite important yeah, yeah so really important for, yeah. for your men mental health apart, apart from the practicalities of getting yeah. something done uh, for your mental health as well so at, at this point and, and you, you you mentioned you're being in contact with other sufferers were your symptoms the same well two things what were the symptoms uh, yeah and were they the same as other people or are symptoms at this point kind of 
quite different for different for different people because it fit for covid just covid um the symptoms are different for lots of people yeah and it's the same with long covid so for me i still had the dry cough i had the hoarse voice and actually the hoarse voice was something that stayed with me through most of the illness and actually if i get pretty fatigued days now i may be a bit hoarser right than um uh, than perhaps i used to be but um so the hoarse voice I had earache i haven't heard of many others having earache that seemed to be um kind of a, a, a lower level one but the fever um and uh, yeah fever had kind of was on and off um i had um some wheezing still so that's quite common the fatigue is common um i also had tonsil stones so they're little like hard gets i've never even heard of them never had them before so in the kind of um um, pits in your tonsils you get like little debris can build up and apparently it's really really common I've never had it and it was yeah they, they would form and then you feel like something's stuck in your throat and that was disgusting I also had something called covid toe um which again I read about in the newspaper and I was like oh I've got that where it's essentially it's like chillblains on your okay. toes never had chillblains um but yeah had a really red toe and again that's another really random long COVID and COVID symptom. Um, but the brain fog is another one. And when I think brain fog's a bad word for it, really. It is, you know, it's cognitive dysfunction. Yeah, brain fog makes it sound quite a light issue, but, um, you know, just not able to focus on a conversation, um, not able to remember things not able to get the words out properly that you're thinking that can be quite frustrating right. I know some COVID sufferers long COVID sufferers have had it you know much worse than perhaps I did I was, that sounds like it could be quite alarming actually you know because it's it's one thing having a cough but you start yeah. forgetting words and stuff you know this you could think oh blimey this this, could, this seems yeah I mean serious. everything everything about this I mean I have had a terrifying two years I mean to put it mildly um, I also had heart palpitations, um, which was pretty common. So some of my later A&E visits were, um, you know, my heart rate, I'd be sitting at rest, my resting heart rate, because I was very fit before, was about 50. So my base, you know, base resting heart rate. But I might just be sitting, not doing much, and my heart would be going at like 180 for no obvious reason. So my my watch which tracks my heart rate would be giving me these high heart rate warnings like and my heart was just going crazy and it was no um obvious reason for it and again that's quite a common one um as well as dysautonomia which um any medic that's listening may correct me but my understanding of it as a non-medic is um so if i was sitting down and then to stand up, my heart rate may increase by 30, 40 beats per minute as my body adjusts to the change in um, or the movement. Um, and that can cause some dizziness as well. So these just really weird symptoms, but those ones are pretty common from what sure. I understand in the community. Okay. So in it, so for your experience in these early days, if you like, let's call it. Um, mm -hmm. When these symptoms became really bad, you got yourself down to hospital quickly. Like when your heart rate went crazy, you would think, right, I better go to A&E now. This is serious. And that happened well, a number I of mean, times. Yeah, the worst time that happened was um, that was kind of in about week 16, um, where um, by that point I'd had tonsillitis, which is another thing. I'd had that for like um, two or three months um or two months and um I went to A&E one day with um my throat because I was really struggling to breathe and my heart was a bit um kind of palpitation-y but not too much and they gave me I was put on a drip and they gave me all sorts of medication to calm the tonsillitis down um and I had a bit of a fever and stuff so I was discharged and then the next day I woke up in the morning and I thought, oh, I feel a bit odd. I took the medication that they'd given me 
Um, and I got pins and needles in my hands and my legs. My I started to feel quite queasy and dizzy. And my heart rate then started to ramp up and it got up to 180 at rest. So I phoned 999 because I thought I was having a heart attack. I really thought I was going to die. Um, and they said, we've got no ambulances available because obviously, again, we are here at peak pandemic. Um, um, keep your phone line free and we'll call you back when we've got, we'll work out how we're going to get someone to you. Um, so that was on my mobile, on my landline. Um, I phoned my mum and dad essentially to say goodbye because I really thought, you know, I thought that was it. Um, so then the ambulance crew phoned me back on the mobile and said, um, we've got you a taxi. <laughs> so like surreal, they said, we've got, will you be able to get to the taxi? And I thought, well, I feel like I'm having a heart attack, but, you know, I need to get to the hospital. So I literally crawled out of my flat into the lift and like I was kind of crawling um, to the taxi, got to the taxi and um, had to queue up to get into A&E because obviously you can't just walk into A&E. They've got to do your temperature and all these checks, but there was nowhere to sit down. And so, I mean, it's almost farcical because I, you know, I, I really, my heart was going like crazy. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't like um, hold things well because I couldn't feel my hands. It was just um, awful. So anyway, fortunately, once I got into A&E, someone saw how unwell I was um and I was taken through to the resus area which was quite scary and my heart rate remained at like 140 for the next couple of hours um and they just couldn't understand why so they ran all of these blood tests and they just couldn't identify what was causing um me to be like this and they did an ECG um and the blood test confirmed I wasn't having a heart attack um they supposed that I probably had a reaction to the medication that I'd had the day before in my previous visit to A&E. Um, but actually, in recent months or in the last year, I now understand the mechanisms of what happened to me then, but uh, which I can tell you about later. But at the time, I had no idea what was happening and they had no idea what was happening. Okay. Now, fortunately... I lived five minutes from the A&E department. So, you know, I was in A&E or in the resource area for about 10, 12 hours that day. And then they said I could go home as long as I reported back the next morning. I think they probably didn't have a bed for me, to be fair, but because I was so close. Um, and fortunately, even though it was locked down, I mean, I hadn't seen anyone for that. You know, I've been on my own for those what three months um, one of my friends who lives in London, she just dropped everything. Well, I say dropped everything. It was locked down. She didn't have much on. But she um, she had the spare keys to my flat and um, she got herself over there. So once I got home, she was on the sofa waiting for me because I, I felt like I needed someone to monitor me or, you know, sure. just in case anything happened in my sleep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was one of the most terrifying experience that was not sadly the most terrifying it was worse to come but that was a pretty terrifying thing and my parents I don't think will um recover quite so well from obviously me phoning to say goodbye to them but I really thought that was you know because I've been ill for so long and psychologically yeah. you think oh god finally it's about to finish me off so this is obviously this is horrible hideous hideous things to happen yeah but at, at what point did you actually get a diagnosis of, of long COVID? Because no one really, at this point, no one really knew what on earth it was. No, so I think it was probably maybe August, September time, and I may be wrong, but from my memory, maybe around then that long COVID became a thing. So it was right. someone on one of the long COVID support groups, I think it was long COVID SOS or one of those um support groups um someone coined the term long covid um but on my um kind of fit notes on the the notes that were signing me off to work um post covid syndrome i think was mentioned after about three months so i guess 12 weeks and i think now 
12 weeks is is kind of the um the diagnosis point um but um yeah there just wasn't the terminology for it then right and the the long covid is is now taken seriously and people know about it and can detect it that was a question more than a statement i think really Judith. um i think um it's a bit of a postcode lottery to some extent um from again from what i've what i've read i think um you know i'm probably very lucky in that i've been believed all the way through um i know a lot of people who've struggled to get the support and at the time when i was at my most ill i lived in central london where i had access to you know uh, lots of support and even in i think it was august september time i went to a post covid clinic so it was that was forerunner for the long covid clinics right. it was set up for um by the respiratory department uh, respiratory team of my local hospital um and they thought they were just going to have people who'd been in um you know intensive care going for respiratory support because obviously i mean i haven't talked about the lungs and things but for many others many other people they've had problems with their lungs and ongoing breathing issues so the post-covid clinic was set up to support them and then they ended up with loads of people like me with these quite random symptoms also attending um and um yeah i think from there that's when the decision to start looking at these long covid clinics um happened but again not every hospital has a long covid clinic um the treatment they offer is you know it's obviously very good in places but it's inconsistent so i don't think there is um consistency there and you have to get a referral which can take ages and that obviously means your gp has to believe you and there are still amazingly gps and medics out there who still seem to think this is all in your mind um and this is um um you know isn't an actual thing um but you know there's 1.7 million people uh who have long covid according to the ons figures that are out this week that's 2.7% of the population um and there are 74,000 people who've had long covid longer than 2 years like myself so yeah this isn't small yeah this is not insignificant this is going to exactly. is affecting exactly. a lot of people so exactly. by definition it will affect the nhs you know they will have to take these yeah. people seriously well, and help them absolutely and and obviously a lot of the people who've had it for over 2 years are the first responders i mean i think i picked i, I spoke at a couple of conferences and things in the first week of march so it's likely i picked it up at one of those conferences where there were lots of people together but for many of the people who've been sick for longer than 2 years they're the people who were on the front line before they had the adequate ppe so these are you know people yeah. working in hospitals whatever their roles you know in supermarkets in um you know the paramedics all sorts of um people in those frontline jobs who have been sick for that length of time right. um so so there are, there are a lot of people who are are sick now probably i mean probably the world over but certainly in the uk oh yeah the world absolutely it's a this is a global problem yeah, yeah absolutely so but what um is available for for treatment is is you know is there treatment can anything be done or does it depend on each person specifically sort of what their symptoms are i think i mean there is no set treatment for long covid quite simply because the mechanisms aren't fully understood yet there's been a massive amount of or there has been an injection of cash to researchers um to look at the mechanisms but there's no consensus to, as to what's causing it there are a few theories um but obviously it's going to take time for treatments to emerge what there is is treatments for some of the symptoms sure. and um myself like many other long covid patients will have seen you know every many many different people with an ologist at the end of their job title so you know i've seen cardiologist rheumatologist i've seen many ear nose and throat specialists given the specific nature of some of my issues i've seen an allergist because i started having anaphylactic um type shocks to foods and all sorts 
Um, I have seen a rheumatologist, I mentioned, um, and a neurologist. So um, a lot of you know, a list of separate, but these all separate disciplines because there wasn't really a way of looking at the whole. You're having to kind of split off symptoms and look at them. Fortunately for me, though, I found a kind of generalist um, specialist in March last year. And for me, that was a turning point in my illness. So I found someone who's now essentially a long COVID specialist, really. But his right. background was in emergency medicine and general um, uh, kind of health. Um, and he has been treating some of my specific um, uh, issues. OK, so, I mean, with that in mind, do, do you find yourself have, that you've had to change the way you live? so as to keep it change your lifestyle uh, you mentioned you were very fit you know do you presume or maybe you do go for runs now I don't know but they're just shorter runs you know how, how have you changed your your life to kind of deal with the, the long covid well I suppose yeah long covid changed my life um, you know it's unrecognizable really to, to what it was so um I mentioned briefly I, I started having allergic reactions things so that was in February 2020 um, and that meant after um, more A&E visits and awfulness I uh, had to change my diet so um, the consultant who I was seeing diagnosed me with something called mast cell activation syndrome which is where your mast cells which are in the immune system just become overreactive so they keep trying to fight everything they're just becoming too uh, or your body's trying to fight all the time. So um, this that diagnosis, it may have been triggered by long COVID. It may not have been, who knows? But um, as part of that, he put me on um, a range of drugs. Um, so antihistamines and mast cell stabilizing drugs. But also I had to change my diet, which I had a, health, a really healthy diet beforehand. But this was a kind of very extreme low histamine diet. So you think about histamine is something, I mean, I have hay fever, so the pollen and trees out there at the moment that are coming out are bothering me a bit, but I didn't realise histamine is found in foods. So, and it was no, histamine that seemed to be causing me to react to stuff. So um, it wasn't necessarily about changing my diet to a really healthy one. It was about looking at a list of a very long list of foods and choosing only foods in low that were low histamine and it, for the first few months of that I took it to very much the extreme um, cutting out anything that was kind of medium or high histamine foods um, which are things, things like new examples yeah. so anything like processed sugary foods they're all kind of high histamine alcohol I mean to be fair I haven't drunk alcohol in well over two years now anyway but um things like pineapple tomatoes aubergine they are all high histamine citrus fruits high histamine nuts so for me nuts i probably won't have again because they're the things that landed me in a and e with a swollen face right. um last year peanuts cashew nuts things like that so things and actually um i was i've always been a bit obsessed with gut health and everyone's like, oh, yeah, gut health, probiotics. Certain probiotics um, would give me high histamine reactions. And high histamine reaction for me was racing heart rate. Um, my face swelled up for two months. So two months of last year, my face was swollen and my yeah, neck you, was swollen. Uh, earlier in the discussion, you you were describing it one trip to A&E and you said, but this wasn't the scariest thing that happened to me. Yeah. So is the scariest thing that happened to you as a result of this aspect yeah. of okay. yeah exactly so, do, so if, if, if it's not too traumatic can can you give us a um a rundown on that yeah i can do so um it was i mean and actually what's worth saying that all my a e visits looking back on them in hindsight are probably are, well they are all related because that a e visit i mentioned to you before and the medication it's likely that that medication triggered a release of histamine in my body, which caused that reaction because right. medication 
and stress can also release histamine. So um, these things are related, but it became more extreme um, in February last year when um, I, I basically went vegan towards the end of um, 2020 um or fairly vegan diet so I was eating a lot more nuts and things because I was like right okay I need to be really 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 healthy but actually a lot of the foods within that were setting off these reactions and at first it was low level and I didn't notice so I might eat something and feel a bit wheezy or like my lips were tingling or my nose felt odd um and I didn't really think too much of it because obviously I've had been ill for goodness knows how long and I was used to random symptoms um but it got to the point um I had like this dessert thing which contained cashew nuts and um various other I suppose chemicals which set me off um and I went to bed not feeling great and I woke up at like 2am racing heart unable not able to breathe and I thought this is odd um and that time because there are many times I didn't go to A&E that time I thought oh I'm probably just having a panic attack I say just there is no just about panic attack no. but I thought I am probably having a panic attack um but two days later um same thing happened again or, or but this time I walked I'd, I was having acupuncture and I'd recommend acupuncture to everyone I'd gone to my acupuncture appointment which I'd been having regularly um I'd had this dessert thing for lunch and I was lying on the acupuncture table and then suddenly the reaction hit. So she quickly removed all of the needles and phone 999 and an ambulance came because, you know, my heart was going crazy. My um, mouth was swollen. My um, fingers. The, and the toe- acupuncturist detected this. You didn't tell her, hang on, stop. Oh, no, I, I said um, I told her because, and she oh. was monitoring me. But I was like, I was like, you know, I, I was like, I'm, I'm. Something's up. I need help now. Yeah, something's yeah. up. And she could tell I was like, um, so yeah, fortunately, she's a, a nurse as well as an acupuncturist. So that was helpful. She recognized when someone uh, was going to need a, um, uh, a kind of a histamine um, or antihistamine injection. So the, the, the team came from A&E. They didn't administer adrenaline because they felt I'd kind of calmed down enough but they administered a strong shot of antihistamines and then took me to hospital um and that was yeah pretty scary but it was the few weeks after that when my face actually started to swell up um so inside my mouth blistered uh, underneath my tongue was blistered I had swelling under here and I've actually got a scratch here because sometimes during the night I still have some kind of tendency to scratch and my and so it was all swollen around here um and that made eating very difficult so I it became not only did I at that time not know what was setting me off and I didn't know what I could eat it hurt to eat because my throat was so swollen I couldn't swallow and every time I tried to chew food I was biting on the blisters in my mouth um so yeah I was in agony and I've had medical issues in the past I've had lots of leg surgeries but I have to say that month is the most agonizing thing that has ever happened I mean I was in pain for two months because it took two months for the swelling to kind of subside despite lots of medication and stuff they the doctors were like well unfortunately it's your body reacting to some unknown thing we can't do anything about it you know they tried me on steroids all sorts um it's just so it hurt all the time. It hurt more yeah. to eat. It hurt more yeah. to drink. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. So I had a nice, the only thing, so temporary relief, I would lie on my sofa or in my bed with an ice pack on my face. Um, and that's when I took up meditation um, because it's the only time I could kind of take myself out of my body, if that makes sense. So I would sometimes spend hours just listening to meditation tracks on um, headspace um just to just kind of not be in my body for a bit because I was just in so much pain and I couldn't take any painkillers because I was reacting to the painkillers so um yeah it was it was awful 
Right. So you, you've come through an awful lot. Mention yeah. a cut. Well, you've have mentioned a couple of things. You've mentioned acupuncture. You've mentioned oh, yeah. meditation. But if people are listening to this, I kind of I'm thinking, goodness me, this. I, I I feel bad. Maybe I've got long COVID, not half as bad as Judith. But what advice has she got for me? Because she's been through the mill, um, and is well, you're still going through it, really. Or you know, yeah. But what what advice can you um, give? Um, so I would say look out for the long COVID communities on Facebook and wherever. But also I follow like long COVID SOS, Body Politic and others on Instagram. And they post lots of the latest research and articles on long COVID. And that was good for me in the early days to see that I wasn't alone and see that these really random symptoms were quite, I say common, but you know, other people were going through them. But it also counter that with don't become obsessed with those um, those sites, because if that's all you're thinking about, then obviously it can become very depressing. Um, I also sought psychological help. So I had some counselling um, fairly on, early on. Um, I say early on, probably around the time my face swelled up was the time I really needed some um counseling and that talking therapy really helped and also keeping my diary um I've actually written a book which whether anyone will publish it I don't know but I've been using you know every time I've had a little bit of energy and kind of wanted to do something I feel productive I've been spending time writing so I've written a book and that for me was very cathartic and why I can talk about it now because I feel like I process what's happened to me but acupuncture um, was really helpful. The diet I went on, while it was extreme at first, the low histamine diet, um, I've moderated that now. I can eat a lot more foods that I couldn't back then because I've recovered significantly. I'm no longer on any medication, which is fantastic. Um, but the, the diet, so it's the Swiss interest group, histamine inference, SIGA, SIGA, or however you say it, um, have got a brilliant list of uh histamine in foods which i found very helpful right. but so say, is the histamine problem uh is, is that come across by quite a few other long covid sufferers yeah so there's a lot of lot of the forums are talking about mast cell activation syndrome so not everyone so some people um have got more issues with their organs so heart issues lung issues fortunately mine weren't permanently damaged i have got a damage to my thyroid from it but um, my, I haven't got organ, organ damage, which is good. But for many of us, we have got this mar, these mast cell issues. And I think for others who maybe haven't got the mast cell issues, just looking at their diet um, could be really helpful. And what really frustrated me, actually, I, I did a lot of talking about my illness uh, on LinkedIn when I was first ill. And people were like, oh, you must take probiotics, you must take vitamins and all this, all these suggestions. I would say, um you know if you can get yourself a medical professional to work with them about it because I had all sorts of reactions to supplements and things and to be fair I was taking probiotics before I fell ill and my gut health didn't help me it's long COVID did it so um uh yeah looking at your diet really really helpful um talking about it is good uh, if you can, I know I've got some friends with long COVID that can't actually. So what I've talked to you about today, um, I've got a friend who couldn't possibly go back to um, talking about it just yet. But they might in time. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, it, I mean, it was a very traumatic. It still is, you know, traumatic memories. So the fact yeah. that you can talk to me about that, because, you know, this is not years ago. You know, This is a few months ago, essentially um stands yeah. for quite a lot i think and I, I i think also it part of it's because of my job um so i've had to learn over the years working in health and well-being to be able to talk about or try and talk about things not in a deadpan way but kind of without letting too much emotion creep into mm -hmm. your delivery of it so i think some of that is practice but that's not to say that 
I'd obviously haven't found it deeply upsetting. It's just that I am able to kind of talk about it. Um, one recommendation, or the, you, we talked about exercise. If you don't mind if I just mention exercise. Mm. The, the thing that I have found, well, I say the thing I found most difficult actually is not having a life for two years. Um, but the second thing I found most um, difficult is the exercise issue. So, you know, I was really fit before. And in fact, there is a cross trainer in the back of my... I was wondering what that was. Room. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's my Bowflex Max. It's a machine for doing HIIT workouts. Um, and I have not done a HIIT workout for well over two years because I simply can't. And I have tried to use it like really slowly for five minutes and it leaves me with a hangover so imagine like you know you've drunk a bottle of wine that's what it feels to me not that I would ever do that in previous life um that's how it feels to me the next day after using that for five minutes like I drunk a bottle of wine the night before like I do not feel good so exercise has been a big problem and I tried to push myself to go back to some form of exercise fairly early on in the illness because I think we're kind of conditioned to um not to push through it but to think oh well if I do if I move a bit it's gonna give you well, how long COVID and how a lot of um you know chronic fatigue ME it's not how those illnesses work exercise and graded exercise is not good so I can do so now what I can do is I can do Pilates so as long as I keep my heart rate low and I'm always sort of monitoring it, if I keep my heart rate low through a workout, I can do like Pilates, half an hour Pilates, three, four times a week. I'll do a weights workout once or twice a week. As long, again, if I'm keeping my heart rate below 100, I can go for walks. And in fact, my step count has improved significantly. But actually, I got to a point last month where I hit 7,000 steps a month again, where I started to feel a plateau and to feel um, kind of not great the day after. And I know I'm not if I'm going to feel bad the day after because I've had tinnitus, which I haven't mentioned through a lot of the illness. And the tinnitus is literally my fatigue alarm bell. So if I've done a bit too much, the tinnitus will start ringing and I know the next day is going to be a tired day or fatigue day. Um, and my brain fog will kick in. And, but fortunately now, my ability to recover is much quicker. So by the next day, normally the tinnitus lifts, the fog lifts, and I feel sort of more normal again. Right. Um, so, so I, I really, mean, really, you're, honestly, you're currently you're, you're kind of learning how to handle it. I mean, I, I was going to ask, yeah. do you feel this sort of light at the tunnel? But you are learning oh. how to deal with this thing and get on with your life. And in fact, you're planning to go back to work soon. So do yeah. You know, do you feel in a better, I'm, I'm sure you feel in a better place than you did a few months ago, but uh, do you feel positive? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it was about maybe two months, three months ago, where I started to feel like myself again. Like, I felt like I'd come out of a dark cloud. Like, the brain fog for me really started to lift then. Um, and once the brain fog lifted, my mood kind of improved. And I'd be able to move more. Um, I moved cities whilst being sick. So I'm, I'm back in Nottingham where I used to live many years ago. And I've got loads of friends here. So, you know, I've been out and about seeing people. Um, I can't go out in the evening. I haven't had a night out for like two years. Um, but that's something to look forward to. Um, and the fact that I'm going back to work, I don't know really how that's going to affect my energy levels. But um, one of the reasons why I started kind of working on my book was actually to test how long I can spend at my computer. So just like over the months, I've had to keep testing and seeing where my new limits are about how far I can walk. I've had to sort of see where my new limits are and how far I can spend it having a conversation or at the computer. And, you know, it's not been a straight tra upward trajectory in terms of employment um, improvements. It's a bit of a roller coaster, but um, I am on an upward trajectory. And yeah, as my consultant said to me when I saw him a couple of weeks ago, you know, you look if I look where I am now compared to a month ago, um, ago, 
like the change is unbelievable and my my family can't believe how much better I am a year's time hopefully I will be back on the Bowflex Max (laughs) Uh, and actually frankly if I'm not I'm not that wedded to it I think my priorities have changed um you know I'd like to be able to work a full day and be productive um but I'd like to live because you know my life has been changed unrecognizably really but um I'd like to kind of live again um and try and bring some positives from the horrible things that have happened right Judith that sounds like a a perfect point to end so good luck with uh, those positives and uh, good luck with your return to work. I, everything goes, I hope everything goes very well. So thank you very much indeed for sharing your story. My pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Judith Grant, for telling your long COVID story and wishing you all the best for the rest of the COVID experience. Also, of course, many thanks to all you listeners. Now, I have a favour to ask you all. Now is the time to vote for the UK Health Radio Awards. Please vote for your favourite guest that you've heard on the show. And you can do that by going to the UK Health Radio homepage. That is ukhealthradio.com and clicking on the vote button. You can also vote for your favourite presenter there. Pick me! Pick me! There are 40-odd presenters, so uh, you can pick any of them. But I would prefer it if you would pick me. So, right. Thanks very much for doing that. ukhealthradio.com. Go ahead and vote. Thank you. UK Health Radio The station that makes you feel good It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks Not anymore Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing Or you're trying new things Make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves And shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk For the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits and more, Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.